have we been able to show that like higher NPS franchisees actually do grow more? And I was like, that's a great question. Let me go validate that for us. And so, you know, here's the net net of what it was. 78% of franchise partners that had a higher than average MPS. This was the average MPS for the system was 73 a few years ago at the time. It's grown since, but they had higher growth. Hmm. And so this is like the one stat that, yeah, they are growing faster. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Account Experience Podcast. And today, we have a special guest. And that's not to say our other guests weren't special, but recently, we welcomed Brian Hodge to the show. Brian is a leadership consultant at Dame Management Strategies, but also just happened to be the previous champion at Soccer Shots, one of our customers. While at Soccer Shots, Brian was the Director of Franchise Operations Specialists and he ran their NPS program for the entire brand across the United States. This talk was a killer example of a champion using data and tying it to financial outcomes. He literally correlated profitability and growth to hitting a specific net promoter score. It is fascinating stuff, guys, so I can't wait for you all to hear it. Let's dive right in. I'm here as always with my co-host, Carrie T. Self. Say hello, Carrie. Hello, everyone. And today we have a, a special guest. So Brian Hodge, he's the uh, leadership consultant at Dame Management Strategies. He's a former director of franchise operations specialist at Soccer Shots, one of our customers. Uh, and we're really excited to have him on here. Um, and he's going to be talking about the path to 80 NPS, which is a crazy number. Um, and he did it with data. So we're really excited to have him here. Welcome, Brian. Thanks. Great to be here. Of course. And I'm really excited to pair you two uh, together, Brian and Carrie, because you have some previous kind of uh, co-experience running franchise experience operations, things like that. So Carrie, um, I know you're really pumped about uh, having Brian here. So I'm glad we can make this happen. Yeah. You know, Brian and I have had a chance to talk in the past and the similarities in our background um, always gets me excited to kind of hear Brian's story. And, and, and did I hear 80, 80? Was that right, Ian? Yeah, 80, 80. Okay. Okay. Jaw dropping. So, <laughs> so let's use that as our as our hook. Let's keep people interested and we'll tell them how we got there in a minute. But um, <laughs> Brian, what I thought would be great is why don't we, for us to understand a little bit, what is Soccer Shots? I think by us understanding the dynamic of that business and what you did there um, will kind of help us with this story we're going to tell today. Sure. Soccer Shots is a franchise system. It's uh, offering intro to soccer programming for children aged two to eight. Um, the franchise system has about 140 owners operating 200 territories across North America. They've been doing this for about 15 years now, um, experienced incredible growth, really great uh, uh, business model. And they attract people who are passionate about working with and impacting the lives of small children. And they're passionate about sports and soccer. And so it's a really amazing community of franchisees. Yeah, I think anyone that has a child playing a sport, especially soccer, I mean, you, you used the word passion, I think, like three times in there. And I think you nailed it. Um, and I think that's a natural connection to Net Promoter. And, 
and adopting that and using that. And I know we're going to get to that 80 score, but um, Brian, tell us a little bit of why net promoter and, 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 you know, what were some of the reasons you brought it in? Um, and, and why did you think it was a good fit for, for soccer shots? Yeah, I can't take credit for it. The owners, the founders of the company kind of initiated the idea. Um, as they grew, they recognized that um, they had these franchisees spreading across the country and they wanted to have a good gauge of what the customer experience was. And so somebody read a book, The Ultimate Question 2.0, and that kind of started our journey. Um, I think we might have even started with, you know, Survey Monkey or something like that to get it going and to like test the, the um the questions and then we had a uh, partner official partner one which led us to customer gauge um, and it was a series of events of like hey let's try this out hey we're seeing this work let's try it in more locations let's double down on this let's go from this being here's something a test to here's something we recommend to here's something that we're going to make this official and automated and every parent's going to get a survey with this cadence and that kind of thing. And so along that progression, um, I was in that tail end and we were just moving towards um, really standardizing the timing and the approach, um, making sure all, all parents got one and, and that kind of thing. I'm kind of curious. Um, were you there when you guys were doing like the manual survey monkey type surveying and reporting and all that stuff? No, I got there uh, soon after we had adopted uh, Customer Gauge okay. as a platform. I was just curious because Carrie and I did an episode about uh, our, I also used to do that. Uh, so I, I was there when we did like manual analysis and, and so was Carrie initially. So we have horror stories. I was just kind of curious if you had your own, but yeah, good for you. <laughs> I think you and I had the same question lined up there. I, I wanted to hear about it too. But yeah. But it's interesting because, you know, we've talked about kind of running our own programs and piecing it together, kind of, you know, scotch tape and, and, and a piece of gum kind of thing. But it sounds like you already had a tool in place. So, so let me jump to that then. So what were some of the challenges of automating this? And you said something that really stood out, a survey for every parent. Right. I mean, that's bold. That's bold yeah. to say, we're going to ask everyone how they feel. So- yeah. Talk to us a little bit about how, you know, how did you accomplish that? And what were some of the things you ran into around that? Yeah, it was, it was a progression. And I, I think we're on the path to that. And I think it was a series of validations and it was a series of building confidence. Um, and it was a, a progression from, we're just doing it with one or two franchisees to we're doing it with a bunch of franchisees. But then we had, uh, and as we looked at, I, I think I did the math, I think only about um, two thirds of the time did a parent get a survey at its highest point. And we knew we wanted a true ADMPS system-wide. Um, and the only way to get there in fairness is to make sure we were surveying all of our parents mm -hmm. uh, after each season. And um, as we built more and more data, we could see the, the business case. We could see that indeed, like you can read all the books you want, right? But until you see your high NPS customers buying more and referring more, more um, parents, and until you see the franchisees who have higher NPS growing uh, and being more profitable, 
that you need to build that business case to be able to make the determination that yes, we're going to in the future do two things, automate it um, so that it's no longer just uh, you know up to franchisees to get the survey uh, list together, upload them into the system, that kind of thing is just automatic. Now there's some technical things there that uh, customer gauge was super helpful with and working with a, a what was a brand new system backend system for us we did a it migration um, and and that you know was a, a bit of a challenge for us to work through but much bigger because we were changing our whole uh, or online ordering uh, platform but we we built the business case we started to round out the um, the the technical requirements to make it automated. And we were also backing it up with data that we found the response rates were higher when the survey came out at a particular point. And the spoiler alert there was the sooner that survey could hit after the last session of the what we call a season, um, which is several weeks of, of soccer shots, the response rate was higher. We also tuned the subject line the text of the email and uh, the customer gauge support team was super helpful in helping us build those things out so that we could look at our franchisees and say, listen, we've proven that higher MPS is good for you. It's good for your families. It's great for the brand overall. It automating it makes it easier for you and a lot less headaches for you to worry about. Um, and it just, it makes sense. It's important to do. Now, I think the, the, the other thing that, that's really key here is our CEO was the champion of like, you know, it was a very much a Kennedy-esque, you know, put a man on the moon, we're going to hit 80 MPS overall. Now, it's a crazy high number, but that was only established after we had seen several franchisees consistently hit it. Um, and so we, we started digging into how they do that. That's a lot to unpack. Okay. So let me, first <laughs> off, I, I, I love the fact that you talked about starting with a few and then growing from there, you know? Yep. Um, and I think you, you, one of the questions I had was what were the things that you were seeing that made you want to go, okay, this works, this we have to fix. Is there anything that stood out to you in that? Um, I have like a hundred questions after that. It was, it was yeah, so exciting. <laughs> but for me, let's start with that franchise piece, starting small and growing and scaling. Mm -hmm. What were some of the things that you saw that really excited you? Like, okay, we have to replicate that and scale it up. But also okay. what were some of the things you're like, Ooh, what, you know, you talked about right timing and, right. and tweaking the subject line. Was there anything else that really stood out to you in that, in that process and that exercise? Yeah, there was, uh, because when we had these, you know, uh, we had enough to say, yeah, it's doable, these 80 MPS, but not everybody was hitting it. We're just like, why? How is that possible? And so I'm a bit of a nerd and an Excel geek. So I started downloading, you know, transactions and, and taking a look at it. The quick um, thing about soccer shots is that you can take soccer shots programs and put them into two categories. One category is in childcare centers. So the coach goes to the childcare center or the school, performs the soccer shot session for children at that school um, and rinse and repeat for eight to 10 weeks. The other program is what we call the public program. This is in a park or in some other public space 
on a weekend in a weekday evening and the parents are standing around watching it. Now, the public program is actually the minority of the business in the business model, at least up until uh, COVID. So what we found, and it was the most exciting thing in the world is I started plotting a correlation between um, the park program, the public program, and the overall data. And what we saw is that there was a huge correlation and that franchisees who had a higher public program were generally able to achieve a higher MPS, even though we were looking at a minority of the customers involved. Um, if you want, I got a slide that I geek out on. Uh, yeah, pop can, it up. Okay. So, um, sorry, let me get back to here, share a little screen. So this Those of you listening, we'll uh, we'll describe it for yeah, you. Yeah, we'll we'll describe it here. So, it's um, people laugh at me because I get so excited about it, but it's just you know a bunch of dots on a screen. But what you can see, if if you were able to see the slide, is you would see a cluster moving from the lower left to the upper right, and on the y-axis we have the public program MPS, and on the x-axis an overall MPS. And I get and I get really excited about this because there is this blank area where there's no dots and it's on the far right. And basically what this shows is no one was able to get their overall MPS over 80 without having their park program, their public programming above that 80 mark. And that, so this is my mic drop moment when I'm talking to franchisees about how do you get to 80 MPS, you got to get your park programs up. And, uh, you know, we, we get some other fellow nerds in the presentations and they say, ah, well, you've shown correlation. You have not shown causality. And so the next slide here, I actually plotted these little movements of these franchisee scores. And I can show that they went from lower than overall 80 MPS to above it only by getting their public program over MPS, 80 MPS first. It's like a salmon ladder. And that 80 MPS for a public program is the thing that they had to leap over. Um, and so I, I need, I always have to remind myself to shut up because I can babble on about this slide. But this was one of the huge aha moments. Um, and so we get the question like, okay, how do I get my public program that high? two things. First of all, the quality of the coach. Second thing is the communication with the parents. Mm -hmm. And so what we were able to show is that that coach who's on the field has got to be great with children, but also good with adults. Has to be able to do that adult-to-adult -adult dialogue, greet the parents warmly, check in with them uh, throughout the season. In addition to the huge challenge of managing eight to 10 two-year-olds, uh, in an open space on a Saturday morning. Uh, not easy to do, but when you can get that coaching quality up for when you've built the training program to get the coaching quality up for a few coaches that floats the boats of all the coaches in your system. And it just proves you've got your hiring down, you've got your training down, you've got your coach management down. Um, so coaching quality is number one. Communication is number two. That rapid response when the, when the, whether it's a director of a childcare center, whether it's a parent inquiry, the ability to quickly get back to that parent, get them their answers, 
um, communicate schedule changes when there is weather delays. Um, th those two things, coaching quality, communications uh, with customers are the keys to getting that, that up. Carrie, you know what I love about this thing is that it's data driven. I mean, you literally pulled up <laughs> chart with scatter plots. Uh, I love that because I think that's honestly, we talked to a good amount of CX professionals and I think this is the type of thing that people have when they're, when they're crushing the game. So if they're really growing their program, they're growing their business, they have this type of supporting documentation because data driven is, is really the, the X factor that I think I, I've found. I mean, you're talking about testing subject lines. You're testing, mm -hmm. uh, it sounds like you tested when to send the survey. Uh, I mean, that's, yes. that's very, very important. I mean, it's all about data. I, I don't, yeah. Kerry, what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, first off, uh, uh, bravo. Um, you got yeah. a couple of geeks <laughs> on, on, on this with you too. So we get excited about um, data and, and, and tables. But the thing I loved, really loved that you said, Brian, because my next follow-up question was, okay, we get this argument on NPS all the time. It's too simple. There's no way you could take action on it. What's really going on? And you, know, you, you spoke to that so perfectly. And then you took it a step further. These are the drivers behind the score. Mm. Yeah. You have no doubt the top three things that your franchisees need to act on to improve that score. And, you know, to me, that was the biggest takeaway from what you said. It's you're giving people actionable data, something that they can yeah. do with it, go out and make a change for their business. Because at the end of the day, how well they do is how much they get returned on that investment, right? Yeah. And yep. you're, you're empowering them with that simple NPS question. It's not so simple, is it? This episode of the Account Experience Podcast is sponsored by Customer Gauge, the leading B2B account experience software that ties revenue to your experience data in real time to help you make better account-centric decisions that drive revenue growth. Quick question, what do you guys think is the number one reason B2B experience programs fail? Believe it or not, it's lack of C-suite buy-in. And in Customer Gauge's research with MIT, they found the quickest way to align yourselves with the C-suite is to actually align with what they care about most, which is revenue. That's why Customer Gauge is literally built from the ground up to maximize and track the revenue contribution from your experience program in real time. Companies like DHL, Anheuser-Busch, Heineken, uh, yeah, we get a good amount of free beer. One Login, Iron Mountain, H&R Block, Super Office and Sugar CRM are already using Customer Gauge to maximize their growth by tying their programs to revenue. And with over $10 billion worth of account revenue actively being managed in Customer Gauge, yeah, that's billion with a B. They're the leader in the space. But maybe even more interesting, they found that once you get alignment with that C-suite, the needs of these B2B practitioners or the program champions are evolving too. In such a complex account environment, it can be really tough to measure and act on feedback quickly across multiple departments, divisions, or even locations. Luckily, Customer Gauge has you covered there as well. With account native features that easily help you not only measure the feedback from multiple stakeholders in an account, but act on that feedback in real time. Because at the end of the day, if you're not empowering your frontline staff with the right insights to address customer issues, you're going to be dealing with a churn issue. It's not a matter of if, it's really a matter of when. Customer Gauge helps you distribute this experience data across your entire organization, regardless of department, regardless of location, regardless of division, 
all in real time. No manual spreadsheets or a team of analysts are needed. Customer Gauge's mission is to help B2B companies harness the power of account-centric growth to drive meaningful change in their businesses. And that's a powerful thing. If you want to see Customer Gauge in action, go ahead and check out CustomerGauge.com and get a demo of account experience today. You won't regret it. Highly no. dynamic. Yeah. Love this table. Yeah, yeah. This is yeah. No, it's it's awesome. It was one point I downloaded 1.3 million transactions of Soccer Shots orders wow. over a a, a, a multi-year time period, and so I tracked the results of you know parents of franchisees who had higher NPSs, higher NPS scores than the average system, and what we found is that the families of high NPS franchisees bought 50% more orders per family than other franchisees. I mean, that's massive. When you talk about like the ability for a parent to maybe participate in two seasons and they end up doing three seasons and you apply that across 10,000 families that you're serving, it's a big deal. But, um, I, you know, it, when I, when we, Carrie, to your point about arguing the case for MPS, I've heard all of it, right? I've heard, you know, oh, MPS doesn't reflect my business. I have a slide for that. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I, I think it comes down to like, you got to get familiar with like cognitive biases because th these are pr where most of the objections to doing MPS. And I think it just results out of fear. Like, A, I don't understand how to get, I'm, I'm fearful of how do I get my score up? I'm fearful of those low scores coming in. I'm terrified. I mean, I got into this to possibly impact kids. I don't want to hear complaints. And so it's easy to kind of stick your head in the sand. One of the things I try to explain to people is that, you know, the net promoter score question does have an Achilles heel and it's called sample bias. And what that means is that you can't, it, it, you can't extrapolate the, the, the mix of responses that you get in the response rate to people who don't respond. So in other words, I have a slide up here for people who aren't like uh, able to see it. And it just shows, you know, a pretty basic NPS score. You get 60% promoters, 30% passives, 10% detractors. And it's showing this is what the response, a 20% response rate looks like. Now in traditional marketing research, right? We would say, oh, okay, well, that's a good representation of our population. And that when we, we can, we can assume that the non-responders look just like the responders. And that's the thing that you can't do with NPS. And that's because it's sample bias. And the net net there is that the, the person who responds has a different perspective generally than somebody who doesn't respond. And it's, it's that emotive um, interaction that causes this next slide. And this is what reality really looks like. And this is why it's so scary is that your population of detractors is generally much higher in the non-respondents. So people who don't give you a response, you've got a higher concentration of detractors, which is, which means it's all the more important to find the detractors that you can get a response from, study those sentiments so you can have a larger impact um, across those that haven't given you a response rate. Just to paint the picture real quick, guys, we're looking at a, a slide uh, that basically had, before you tracked down all of those non-respondents, you had a 55, I think it was, NPS. And what Brian's showing right now, yeah, it was a 50 NPS, sorry. And once you got that remaining 
group of people to respond to you. He's basically saying the detractor amount is much higher in that group because they didn't necessarily respond initially. And your yeah. actual overall NPS when you take the whole picture into account is a minus 22 NPS. That's quite the swing from 50 to minus 22. And that, thank you for bringing that up, Brian. We've talked about this a lot at length. We talk about account coverage. We talk about revenue coverage. So making sure that you get respondents from a large portion of your revenue. Um, this is one of the most misunderstood things in NPS period. I think you are spot on with bringing this up. What do you think, Kerry? I love the visual of it too. The, just yeah. the whole absence of signal we talk about all the time. And we say it's, it's probably, and you said it well, Brian, it's, it's the most dangerous part of a program. The, those that you're not hearing from, um, it, that in itself is a statistic that, that should scare you a little bit, that non-response rate. Um, but, but look, so let me ask you this then, Brian, what did you guys do to overcome this? If, if, if you're, if you have an absence of signal, you're not getting a response rate from X number of your audience. What did you guys do to kind of pull them in to entice them? What did you do to increase that number? Uh, well, we, we tried some things that were helpful and some things that, 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 uh, we found didn't really help the needle move the needle overall. Um, but I mean, to go back to like answer the quick question for anybody who's wondering why is that so far off in the why are there so many detractors and non-responders? And it's just easy. I mean, if you think about it, what's the opposite of love, it's not hate, it's apathy. Okay, so if I really can't stand you and you've ticked me off, I'm not even going to open your survey, let alone help you by giving you constructive feedback because I can't stand you. Anyways, to get back to your question about how to how to get you know, ensure that we were getting um, the, the the responses. So we we do we did use a reminder survey that went out. Found that the the reminder survey did give us a big bump in response rate. We talked about testing some of the subject line, the timing, to get that response rate up. We actually did an experiment to see if we did a mid-season MPS, if that would help us catch families that we're not having an awesome experience and convert them before the end of the season. Nice. And, um, and while we did see that the end of season survey was much higher than the mid season, we also, I would looked at all the data and I, I was able to see that the mid seasons overall were a lot lower than they usually are for any particular franchisee. And so, you know, it was a question of like, is the parent not able to give us a full evaluation because they've only seen half the product, half the program, maybe. Um, I think we were legitimately catching some issues before they came be became issues. But one thing that was definitely clear is the response rate of our end of season survey was lower when we were doing that mid season. And so we, we counted that as like, that was evidence of a little bit of survey fatigue and so we didn't um, we didn't want to perpetuate that. So we found that that's that was not a good way of, of raising the, the response rate. That's interesting. Just I love it was almost a transactional approach midway through, you know, to, a check in to kind of figure that out. But I, I like the model of using the survey itself to figure out if what's what's good and what's bad about the survey. Yeah. Um, it's a smart model. Um, yeah, we also moved um, from uh, a, a progression of uh, we didn't have drivers installed at first, and um, 
and Justin was a Justin, the CEO of Soccer Shots, was a proponent of like, let's get drivers in there. Um, we had loads of comments. Like we are the the Soccer Shots customer comments more than average. I think we were getting somewhere around sixty percent of responses came with comments. Wow. Uh, and and so, it, I would try to analyze those. But uh, when we got drivers in, that was a way of really qualifying and quantifying the feedback in a much more reliable way than reading through hundreds, thousands of comments. And then um, also took a look at the text analytics uh, tools that you guys have, which I, you know, I, I think um, are absolutely phenomenal and super insightful um, for that question of like, when you're running a franchise system and you've got 140 owners and probably 120 different pricing schemes across, you know, various demographics across North America, it's tough to answer the question, is our pricing correct? Is the pricing too low, too high, and that kind of thing? And the the new uh, text analytics capabilities helped us zero in on that so that we could show a um, any franchisee how, for example, uh, passive comments regarding pricing were positive, negative, compared to nationwide. And so when I could look at a franchisee and say, you are not getting the complaints or the negative feedback around your pricing that we're seeing the rest of the system, that's dollars, man. Like Mm -hmm. that's data based direct sentiments from your customers and how they compare to the nation, which tells you you've got a lot of room to increase prices before, and you can get some more complaints and still be better than the rest of the country. So, um, I like that you segued into that because that that was my next big question. Now that we've got this campaign, we're engaged with these parents and the franchisees are bought in. Mm -hmm. The next step is kind of, okay, so now what do you do with all that information strategically? And so I like the pricing explanation. Most people would say, hey, we're getting negative feedback here. We need to lower our prices. You used it as a catalyst to say, we've got more room here to grow. Like we are underselling our solution. They love us so much. We, you know, we can do more with that. What other things strategically were, what, were you guys pulling from this that as an organization, you guys were able to leverage and use? Um, I think we were in the beautiful seat of just being able to look um, and kind of dispel myths, you know, of like, oh, well, you know, the people in, you know, fill in the blank region are just tougher to please. I'm like, no, not, not so much. Um, that, that's, that's not true. Um, I think another thing that we did is we used it to celebrate. I mean, the, the comments that we get, um, are just amazing. And, And Justin asked me at one point, he said, why do you think it is that our, our customers comment so much more than, than the average? I was like, well, you know, no offense to like the greatest coffee in the world, but your barista gives you an awesome latte that really did make your morning, but it's not going to have the impact of a coach making your three-year-old come out of their shell, smile and giggle and talk for the next three days, about totally different things. So the emotional impact we had got those, um, comments, we were able to use those in a bunch of different ways. First of all, the 
the fran at the franchisee level, they were using that to recognize and reward their coaches and their staff, uh, and and really, you know, just forget the marketing play on it, just for staff engagement and, and to to recognize them internally. Did that? Yes, there's a marketing side for using the 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 promoter comments. Um, there, there's also opportunity at the corporate level. I mean, there was this one part of, of what we call operator training for kind of new franchisees. I was able to like print out a full page of comments for every person. And sometimes we had 20 people in the room. So I got 20 pages just from the last 30 days of these promoter comments and every page is different. And we would have people sit down, read the comments and just highlight a couple that stuck out to them and we talk about it as as part of the part of the exercise but that is that was like highly inspirational um it was informative and and a, and a great reminder of like i'm the trainer but forget what i tell you is important <laughs> about running your program listen to our customers um and it was also really important you know for how we use the data going back to the comments and the sentiments um we, we, we have this challenge in providing um, instruction to young children that the doctors who tell you about early childhood development will say you got to have repetition for the parents sitting on the sideline. They have a different perspective on that repetition. They're like, it's just the same thing over and over again. And we're like, well, but the PhDs say it's this. And the parents are like, I want more variety. So we were caught in this. How do we deliver excellent programming that's based on all the best research on early childhood development and make sure that the what is being shown to child care center directors to uh, park program officials and to parents is is appealing and so the feedback that we were getting about session length about variety about um, the different games that we put in all went into the product development side so um, sorry, went on a little bit there, but you've got marketing, you've got internal staff inspiration, you've got product development things. Um, and I just, I think it's so key. I, I again, I credit the, the owner and leadership team because they've read the detractor comments. They read the, the promoter comments to really make sure we had a good pulse on how is soccer shots being delivered out there across the, the continent. So, Kerry, I'm going to jump in. You keep talking about uh, Justin, which is, I'm assuming, the, the founder and CEO, right? Yes. So, how do you get, it sounds like Justin read the book, which is great. So, he understands the concept, but how do you communicate and manage the program with Justin and keep his ear to make sure he's bought into all of this and getting that honest, brutal feedback from your clients? I mean, how did that go? I'm just kind of curious from your side. Yeah, I mean, I give Justin credit for this being um, high on his priority list, and clearly, you know, um, you know, it, he got it from the the intellectual side, but I think it also hit his heart too, and it, and that's why experience ended up in the vision statement that he crafted, um, and ADMPS overall became, you know, a, a long term goal for the organization, um, and you know. It, I, and so he had his own internal drivers, and I think, and Carrie, you'll probably back me up on this, but when you're when you're managing a a system of franchisees, 
I, I just got to take a moment and explain for anybody who's not familiar with franchising, it is a totally different animal. Okay. In other industries, you've got employees and you, you hire them and you fire them. And, you know, it's a, most states, it's at will. You've got clients who, you know, there's this exchange for money. You're going to give me money. I'm going to give you this thing. And we're going to try to keep that going as long as we can. Then you've got weird things like suppliers and the service providers and distributors and that kind of thing. Franchisees look a little bit like each one of those groups, but they are none of those groups. And so, there's a certain amount of influence that you do have with franchisees where you can say, this is what our orange is. This is what our product is. You're not allowed to make up your own flavors. Okay. You got to use our flavors on one hand. On the other hand, there's certain things that by law, you can't go anywhere near. You can't touch with a 10 foot pole, things like staffing decisions and, and hiring decisions. So it's, it's this very interesting thing where the franchisee has a certain amount of autonomy. And as you're rolling out new systems, um, even in cases where you can, you know, kind of come down the mountain with, here's the new system, there's a certain amount of selling and a certain amount of objection overcoming that you have to work through so you can keep your team uh, cohesive and, and everybody on the same page. So I'd say that's where our challenge, uh, not just with NPS, but with any sea change that we were looking to accomplish was um, advocating and, and selling the, the, the new thing throughout the franchisees. And that, that, that was always, and that's why it took years for us to go from you know, survey monkey to embarking on game ready to um, make it standardized. So, yeah, I, I just broke out in the sweats when you went <laughs> the, the franchisee thing and you're, it, you described it perfectly. It's there's certain things you can influence. There's certain things you can dictate. Um, and there's a whole lot of gray in between sometimes and making sure that you can trust your data, trust the feedback, um, get it in a timely manner. Those are all things that kind of empowered us, Brian, right? To yeah. kind of to kind of be the champion for that. But I'm interested because, you know, Ian asked a question. Normally, when I ask this question, I'm saying, how do you impact the C-suite? But it mm -hmm. sounded like you had that leadership buy-in. You, like myself, we had to impact a different group to be bought in. So I wanted to ask this question. Let's go beyond just NPS. Mm -hmm. Was there other metrics that you were using to influence? Were there other metrics that were giving you insight? And did you tie any of that to your NPS um, into your program? Um, I, I think there were some, uh, certainly we're, we're, we were looking at growth. We're looking at size. Uh, we have really great demographic information for each one of the areas that um, uh, we serve. Uh, because when franchisees buy a quote unquote territory, they want to know, you know, how many parents are in that territory, how many children within a range, what's the average median household income, et cetera, et cetera. So um, we, we studied that. Um, I think one area is kind of answer to your question. One area that we didn't do, which I thought, which I think I would encourage anybody to do is to start overlaying NPS with um, employee engagement with the financial performance of the organization. Now, this is like, again, I didn't do it, but this is like, if I had more time, if I had more research and a longer runway, I'd, I'd want to do this to just paint the picture that you're, high, you're more highly engaged employee 
is going to get you greater NPS, which is going to get you greater profit growth over time. And then like, that's like the ultimate uh, holy grail of business metrics of like really painting the picture of this holistic good. Like it's not just about growing profits. It's not just about customers who are going to refer you to friends. You're actually accomplishing a positive impact on the lives of the employees who are doing this. And when that they're more healthy, healthy and better engaged, they're going to drive customers. I was sitting at lunch last week with a CEO of a staffing company who is a huge fan of culture, a huge fan of NPS. And he was just like, it, it was just obvious that highly engaged employees um, delight customers, period. So he, he's got this whole strategy of driving culture in his organization with the expectation that it's going to have this amazing NPS um, component. I think one other thing to the organization, it was, it applies to his, his uh, and also to um, the soccer shots organization. It's kind of like this healthy rivalry, healthy competition that you can get between franchisees, between offices, between departments for, for how their, their, um, how their scores are coming in. I, I, I did not prep Brian whatsoever on that, but I, I, I just, I love it um, because I, I think a lot of us that do this and have done this for a long time, I think some of these things become very obvious and, you know, happy employees, happy customer. We've all heard that and just love hearing you speak to that, Brian, a little bit. Um, you know, Ian. One of our um, uh, collaborators at MIT uh, a few years ago did uh, a small one page or it, was, it might have been two pages paper that basically they ran some data and correlated the employee experience to the net promoter style customer experience and growth of companies. So you're, you're spot on, Brian, when you say, I mean, that's from a research side, right? So it's a different thing to do in real life, right. but the research definitely supports that if you create that amazing experience for your employees, it spills over to your customers and then it fuels growth for companies. And you, you mentioned that uh, some of your franchisees, you knew that the ones that had a higher NPS score grew faster or had more profitability. Can you speak yep. to that a little bit real quick? Yes. So um, one of the one of the founders, um, as I was geeking out on the NPS data and getting all excited about it, um, <laughs> he, was, he was like, well, hold on. Um, have we been able to show that, um, I'm just getting the slide ready to show you. Have we been able to show that like higher NPS franchisees actually do grow more? And I was like, that's a great question. Let me go validate that for us. And so, you know, here's the net net of what it was. 78% of franchise partners that had a higher than average NPS. This was the average NPS for the system was 73 a few years ago at the time. It's grown since, but they had higher growth. And so this is like the one stat that, yeah, they are growing faster. Um, and that was, you know, I mean, back to the earlier point, we can read books all we want, right? But until we show that these concepts in the book are manifesting with our customers, um, you know, it's just a book. Well, and think about new franchisees coming in. Not only are you selling them on the data from the past, but right. now you have almost a magic crystal ball. It's not even magic, right? It's it's right. it's data. But once they hit this threshold of of scoring, you can say this guy is going to grow fast. 
you know, this group over here is going to do phenomenal and we have to worry about this group. But now you've got that data to, to give you a predict a prediction of where they're going versus yeah. it being after the fact the following data point. So I just I love that. Yeah, we reported the NPS scores on a, on a uh, monthly basis, and we're able to just really gauge, um, uh, you know, movement. So if somebody's moving up, moving down, we always uh, tracked, and this goes back to one of the earlier questions about what, what do we track? We, we tracked responses and uh, response rate. So we, we wanted to make sure that as many parents as possible were being surveyed. We also wanted to make sure that we were getting a good response rate from that. Um, and you know, it's just, it's interesting to watch, uh, the rivalry in, uh, amongst franchisees really become like a healthy thing, uh, because in Metro areas where there's multiple franchisees, you know, they don't want to see, they want to beat their neighbor, but they don't want to see their neighbor have a low NPS because that's going to hurt the, their brand, you know, eventually, if not immediately, um, and then the other thing I would, I would have franchisees call me up and be like, listen, there's no way he only got like 200 responses. He's not surveying everybody. <laughs> like, and so there, it was just like this really helpful accountability of like, hey, we're all in this together. We're all trying to achieve this thing. And we want to level playing field for, you know, uh, comparing each other. Yeah, I think that really speaks to creating champions in the field. Um, and ironically, you know, you're in a very competitive industry when you talk about soccer, but you throw in there this, this, this other score that they can score on and they compete with each other, but you want to play against the best. I think true athletes, people that are truly competing, don't want to go in and just crush the competition. They want to go up against the best um, so they can come out on top. And I think that plays really well into this. It, it does. And, and, you know, again, it, it aligned with, you know, uh, we pursue excellence was one of the core values. And so you can just, when you can draw vision, core values, mission, engaged employees, and a product that lines up with that, um, it, it, uh, it, it's powerful. I mean, going back to the engagement thing, I mean, just for anybody who's maybe heard the term, but not super familiar with it, you know, what is employee engagement? Employee engagement, very simply, is employees' emotional connection to the company and their willingness to give discretionary effort. And so it doesn't necessarily mean they're working late hours in the evening because you know, we got hourly employees. That discretionary effort is that little bit more of energy and enthusiasm to delight a customer when they could just get by with, with a little bit less energy. That little extra energy is that discretionary effort. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about employee engagement. Wow, so Ian, I don't know how much time we have left or if we wanna wrap this up with a, with a big question. What, what was on your mind? I see your eyes dancing a little. Yeah, so I think you've done a great job, Brian, of painting the path to ADNPS with data. I think that's very, very clear from everything you presented. So thank you for that. It was really, really insightful. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, day management uh, solutions or strategies. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So um, it's founded by uh, John Dame, who is a uh, management leadership consultant. He uh, provides strategic planning, uh, peer groups such as Vistage groups, which is a 
peer group for CEOs. It's an international organization. John chairs a couple of those. We help um, leaders with executive coaching. And then we've got this other bucket of other services like assessments and events and, um, and other customized engagements where at the end of the day, we're looking to help leaders become better and to leave their greatest legacy. And we do that through a bunch of different things and every leader's situation is a little bit different. So sometimes it's a blend of coaching and a peer group. Other times it's a strategic planning session, but it's super exciting. I met John in 2011. Uh, I was on the client side. He was the, you know, the the unknown consultant coming in who, who probably got a little bit too much of my critique. Um, <laughs> And then I, I was on the client side for several years until uh, joining the organization just uh, a couple months ago. It's another thing you have in common with Carrie. Yeah. Previous customer, now a uh, CG employee. But uh, like it. yeah, it was great. Brian, thank you so much. Uh, it's been, again, really, really amazing to have you on. I think the data and just the, the strategies presented are invaluable to the audience. So thank you again. Uh, Carrie, thanks for being here as well. And this is the Account Experience Podcast. Um, please share with friends, subscribe, and uh, we'll talk to you guys all soon. Thank you. Thank you.